It's good to be here this morning. I know we're small, but uh, the Lord doesn't look at numbers like we do, does he? You know, he looks at the heart. So uh, that's the main thing. And uh, we are looking at uh, really the, the Christmas story. And <clears throat> what I want us to think about today, because it's, uh, it's the announcement of Jesus' birth, I want us to think about mystery and uh, the mystery of the incarnation. You know, the incarnation, just the word incarnation just means in flesh. When we talk about, uh, you know, when you hear that word, you somebody thinks, what's incarnation? That's a big fancy word, but it's just really in flesh, God coming in flesh. So uh, we want to look at that mystery, though, because mystery is something that um, the Webster Dictionary says, mystery is something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain, such as the mysteries of the universe and outer space and that kind of thing. But the greatest mystery of all, <clears throat> the Bible tells us, is the mystery of the incarnation, the coming of Christ. I mean, think about it. One who lived in, think about glory and majesty and where uh, the angels worshiped him day and day, we would say eternally, because they have been worshiping him uh, since their creation. And, uh, and that God came down. See that, you know, so Christmas is God coming down. That's the mystery. Why would God come down? It's not us coming, going up, it's God coming down. And so the mystery of the incarnation is really uh, something that's, uh, you know, when we think about Christmas, that's the whole point of Christmas is to understanding what, what this, there's such mystery about why the Lord Jesus Christ in his being the second person of the Trinity would humble himself and come to earth to be our Savior. And, and that's, that's a mystery that... Uh, you know, if anyone tells you that they can, they can explain the Trinity or they can explain the Incarnation, well, all we can do is we can say what Scripture says, but we really, there's so much you can, you can explain something but not really <laughs> understand it. Well, that's kind of the Incarnation. We, we, we um, you know, Paul says that in 1 Timothy. He says, great is the mystery uh, of godliness, and then he goes and explains the incarnation. Jesus came, and Jesus died, and Jesus rose again, and the message is preached, and people believe the message. And he says, that's a mystery, how all of that happens, and how God works in people's lives. And so we're going to be looking at this this morning in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Uh, God comes to a, a teenage girl about 14 years old. Now, I don't, we don't have any uh, 13 or 14-year-olds here today, do we? Well, do, wait there. Bryson's not 13 yet. He's 12. Okay. And uh, Madison is what? 12? 12. But think about it. You know, that, you know, here's a 13 or 14-year-old young girl, and the angel appears to her and tells her she's going to be the mother of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I, as a parent, I'd be shocked. <laughs> um, and... Uh, there's a whole lot of other things I'd probably be thinking, but, but, this, but, but can you imagine what she must have been thinking? And how just, I mean, it would be a very confusing uh, moment for that, for that young lady, Mary, as she comes and she hears the message of Gabriel. And so think about last week we looked at Zechariah. So let's move forward six months. So six months, uh, uh, 
we know that Elizabeth is pregnant six months at this point, and then Gabriel comes again. So we're going to look at that. And notice with me in verse 26, we're going to read God's word uh, beginning there. And in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word favor uh, is the word grace. You have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and be the Lord God. And the Lord God will, be given, will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Notice that, let it be. Isn't that amazing? Let it be. Let it be as you say to me, according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Uh, let us uh, ask God's blessing on, our, on his word. Father, we just come this morning, and certainly it's a blessing, Father, as we think of uh, Christmas and what it really means. Uh, Lord, we get taken up with gifts and activity, and uh, we get taken up with all kinds of different things, and, and not those things are not bad in and of themselves, but, Father, really uh, the very meaning, the very... Uh, the very heart of, of God is being uh, poured out and being displayed for us at Christmas. Uh, that you came down. You came down to us in our darkness, in our deadness, in our uh, sinfulness, uh, in order to raise us up. And so, Lord, what a blessing it is to know that you hear, uh, Father, uh, the cries of your people that had been, uh, uh, for years, had been looking forward to the Messiah. And, uh, Lord, you had a plan, and that plan is uh, mysterious in so many ways, and how God, who is spirit, then could take on flesh and dwell among us so that we might behold your glory and your grace in a way that we could never see it any other way. Father, we ask your blessing on our time together. Lord, you hear the, the needs of this congregation. You know those who are traveling. Give them safety. And, Lord, you know the needs of each one here this morning. We pray that you would pour out your blessing upon us, Lord, as we meditate and as we think and reflect on this wonderful message of Christmas. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to look at uh, this mystery as it relates to the greeting. We want to look at the greeting, and then we, we want to we look at what uh, the angel says about the identity of the baby. What's the baby going to be? What, what kind of baby is this anyway? And he's going to talk about the identity of the baby, and that's a mystery in itself. And then we're going to look at the mystery of just the virgin birth itself, just the fact that here's a lady who's 
She's, a, she's probably 14, you know, it was normal back then that a 13 or 14 year old girl would be betrothed. Uh, and it was arranged by the two parents, two families. They would arrange the marriage and then the betrothal was a year period. So between 13 and 14, so by 15, they're married. Uh, but as in the betrothal process is that they would not have any physical um, relations, anything. It was not an official wedding. I mean, it wasn't an official marriage at that point. It was a marriage in the sense before God. They were married in a betrothal sense, uh, but they didn't have any contact uh, and they didn't live together per se uh, during that period. So, uh, so, so we're, you know, as we look at this, there's going to be that mystery of that. But then I think it's another mystery here that, that kind of hits you is that, that Mary has the response that she gives kind of leaves you thinking, wow, this young lady must have had a, just a deep sense of the scriptures and how the scriptures had made such an impact on her because she, uh, she, she has this submissive attitude towards uh, the angel's message to her. So, so here you have Gabriel. Gabriel's already given a message. And remember, we like 500 years earlier uh, when the Babylonian captivity was up. So you got a 500-year period. Then you've got Gabriel coming to Zechariah, giving that message. And then six months later, now God has sent him to, to, to Mary. And uh, I don't know where Mary is. Maybe she's at home. Maybe she's, you know, she's sitting there reading uh, or thinking. And uh, the angel Gabriel appears to her. She's not in the temple. Uh, but notice she's at, she's at home because it says that, the, the, that Gabriel comes to her in, at Nazareth. Of all places, you would think that God was going to come and announce the birth of his son. Nazareth was kind of a no it was, it was a nowhere place. It was, it was like, you know, it's kind of like, what good comes from Nazareth? You remember the saying in, in one of the Gospels, it says, anything good come from Nazareth? Well, it was, a no, it was basically considered a nowhere city. Uh, it was a, and God comes to a poor, humble virgin named Mary and greets Mary in such a way that it had to startle her because, I mean, he, he basically says, greetings, you are favored. You are a favored one there. Notice that in um, in verse 28. And he came to her and said, "Greetings, O favored one." In other words, "O graced one." You're, you 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 you've you've you have been blessed by God, and uh, God is gracing you with this message. God is bestowing His grace. And and when we think of grace, you have to remember grace is unmerited. So Mary, Mary is not a giver of grace. She's a being a recipient of grace. She's, she's going to actually, I mean, think about it. She's going to need a Savior to save her from sin because she's not sinless. And God's going to favor her with grace. God gives grace, that's unmerited favor, in order for us to be humbled enough so that we can receive more grace, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, think about when God, when we don't, we don't think about it, and I was, as I was meditating on this this week, I was thinking, you know, God, you know, we pray that God would give us patience, and, you know, he gives us a trial, right? I think I'm going to start praying instead of that, praying for patience, I'm going to pray for more grace, because I need more grace to endure the whatever. I mean, think about the grace she's going to need to endure what she's going to have to go through as a 14-year-old. How much grace are you going to need as a 14-year-old? And she's going to have to go back to Joseph and explain to her, um, I'm going to have a baby. And he's going like, you are? 
then that's it. This relationship's off. Well, we know that that didn't happen because the angel goes to Joseph, too, and he's a godly man. Um, and, and think about all, the, all of her, I would think, her peers. What are they going to think? She's going to need grace for that. She's going to need grace to deal with just the day-to-day th- uh, neighbors and so forth. What are they going to say? And, and what about all the people who are going to be whispering, well, you know, this is not really, you know. Uh, and, and yet, so, so she's going to need grace to deal with that. I mean, she's 14 years old. Come on. 14 years old, you're just basically trying to figure out life, right? I mean, when I was 14 years old, I mean, I mean, it, <laughs> I mean it, was a, it was a very confusing part of my life. And, and so you can think of Mary, God's saying, you are going to be receiving a lot of grace here. You have been blessed. This message that you're going to carry, it's a wonderful message. You're going to be carrying the, the Messiah in your womb, and, and you're going to be the recipients of grace because you're going to need it, not only for your own salvation, but for the salvation of others. Uh, that uh, is going to hear that message. And so she's being graced. And, and it's not like, would you do me a favor kind of grace. It's the grace that's going to come to her out of just God's, just God's kindness and God's mercy. And so you could think that as Mary receives this message, it's, it's a message about God coming down to her and not us climbing up to God. You know, as... As you think about uh, uh, the mystery of the incarnation, remember it says, this is the grace of God. It says, it says, for he who was rich, what? He became poor. So that you through his poverty might be made rich. So we are the recipients of riches at the expense of Christ's poverty. Um, I had a professor in college or seminary that that. Uh, mentioned this one time, and it's never, it's, it just it keeps coming back to me every time I, th- I think about the incarnation, is that Jesus had all these changes take place in his existence. So here's the, the, the eternal God, second person of the Trinity, who is now going to change his location. Think about it. Isaiah 6, we saw what? The angels of God were worshiping Jesus, right? We know that because, uh, you know, uh, so they're bowing before and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's going to change locations, right? He's coming from heaven to earth. That in itself is amazing, right? I mean, how, I, mean I don't even know how. Kenny was saying something about the light years last week and how many light years it takes to get to the farthest star, and I forget how many light years we were talking about. But think about how long, I mean, think about coming from heaven, which we don't know where heaven is and how far away it is, coming from heaven to earth. The, 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 the humiliation of Christ. He, he changes his location, and then he changes his possessions. He changes from riches of glory to what? He comes into poverty. He's, born, he's being born into poverty. You know, Joseph, I mean, he had a few nickels to rub together, but not a whole lot, you know. He's, so he's, so he, there's this change in his possession. Then there's change in his position. He's being worshipped in heaven. And what happens when he comes to earth? Rejected, hated, persecuted, eventually crucified and rejected. Even spit upon, beard poured out. I mean, just all the things we can think of. And then there's this change in his form. He's, God dwells in heaven as the eternal spirit. And what happens? 
and he takes upon himself what? Flesh. And you're going, ooh. <laughs> Why would God do that? Why would Jesus, I mean, think about Jesus coming. Here's the, the, the God of heaven coming to or taking on flesh, still being God, born in the womb of Mary and having to have his diaper changed. Happened to be nursed by Mary. Think about it. I mean, that's, and all of those changes that Jesus goes through, all of those were temporary except for one. When he took on human flesh, he kept that human flesh. Now, it's glorified, but when in heaven, guess what? When, when we see Jesus again and he, and he stretches out his hands to say, it's good to see you, my brothers and sisters, you're going to see the scars in his hands because he's flesh. He's flesh of flesh. He's flesh of my flesh. He's bone of my bone. He's, he's a part of, in other words, he continues to be the God-man. He doesn't stop becoming the, his, his being the mediator means that he's, he's interceding for us. And what's interesting here is that Mary, when she, he, she does get the greeting, I mean, I would be, I don't know, it's just greatly troubled. I think I would have been shocked, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, you know, first of all, I mean, it's wonderful to see an angel, but it wasn't very common to see an angel. It was a very frightening experience for people. Uh, and so she would be, that in itself would have probably, uh, I mean, and, and notice he says you are going, you're favored, and then later on it says you have found favor with God. There, uh, right there in verse 30, it says, and you found favor with God. You found grace with God. That word favor is grace. Uh, and you're going to need grace to deal with what God gives you. You know, isn't it amazing that God burdens us with a blessing of salvation? You know, you are carrying around a blessing. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful, it's a, but, but think about it. As a believer, you're different than somebody that's not a believer. Not because of something you've done, but because God's blessed you with this blessing of salvation. So regeneration, when God regenerates you, he gives you the Holy Spirit. You're, you're, not, the, you're not the same person anymore. You've been created a new creation in Christ Jesus. You've been blessed. You've been, you're, I mean, when you've been favored by God in a, in a way that Mary has been favored by God, but Mary's not, got, notice this, Mary is not the, the giver of grace. You know how uh, in Catholic religion, uh, they say this about Mary. Uh, I wrote it down because I couldn't, I know that they basically, they said Mary full of grace, but that's not really, that's really not, you know, that's not really biblical. She's not, she's recipient of grace, but she's not the giver of grace. She's, you know, she's been graced with God's, forgiveness, but she needs grace for herself, and she needs grace to do what God has asked her to do. Um, you know, as a child, I remember uh, singing, and we've all sung this. How, how many of us have sung, I'm Climbing Jacob's Ladder? I mean, we could have every hand here, right? And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, as a child, you know what I was thinking about? As I was growing up and I would sing that, I'm saying, I'm climbing Jacob's Ladder, I'm climbing Jacob's ladder, and I'm a soldier of the cross, and I keep climbing up. But you notice, as I, as I was thinking about it, I, I was saying, well, Lord, I'm really trying harder. I'm going to be a better Christian today. And we're climbing this ladder, and I'm just trying to get up. 
But you know, that's really not the picture of Jacob's ladder. You know, it's not us climbing to God. It's God, what? Coming down. Remember how, how Jacob, what was happening? The angels were descending down on Jacob. They were coming down the ladder and blessing him. And I got, you know, finally it dawned on me. It's like, wait, there, I think I've got it wrong. Grace is God coming down to us and blessing us. Why? Because God is a God of, of grace and goodness and mercy and love. And I, and I thought, you know, so often I think about, when I think about Christmas, it's, Lord, I'm really trying. I'm trying to be a better Christian. But guess what? God's favored us with his, his salvation, his forgiveness. And, and that's a beautiful mystery that I think Mary, Mary is, 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 is gaining ground here and, and understanding God's grace, I think. Uh, but, but notice what Gabriel says about this child. I mean, uh, not only he, does, he tells her that she's going to be the mother of Jesus, but notice what, uh, you know, she's greatly troubled. And notice verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So the word Jesus there means Jehovah saves. In other words, God is the God of salvation. He's the one that, that's going to, he's, this Jesus is the one that's the Messiah. He's going to come and save his people. And he's going to be great, not just great in the, the eyes of the Lord like John the Baptist. He is great. You know, remember as a, a child, remember my parents teaching me, God is good and God is what? God is great. God's whole, his, whole, his very being is great. You know, the psalm says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Well, he, his very essence, his very being is greatness. And, and, and Mary had to be thinking, wow, this is, this is, this is getting, this is getting uh, I don't want to say strange, but this is, this is really, uh, this is bigger than, not, this is a big, this is a big uh, an announcement here. Um, and notice that, and he will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high. In other words, he's going to be God. Or he is God, is the idea. He's the son of God, the, the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. So he's his father, David. So he's going to be also God. He is God, but what else? He's man. There's two things there. So there's God and man, and they're coming together. So he's going to have the, the throne of the David's, David's throne. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So, I mean, thinking about the person that, of this baby, this baby is going to be God-man. There, there was a term that uh, they, they would use back in, uh, you know, when they would discuss the incarnation, and they'd say uh, he's going to be the theos anthropos, you know, the anthropos being man and theos being God. God-man. He's the God-man. And he's, a, he's, he's, one of, he's one of only one. He's one of the only type of, he's the only God-man. And, and it's that message that, that Mary gets that, that probably causes her to say, how in the world this is going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. I'm, you know, I don't know a man. I, I, I haven't been married. I mean, uh, I mean, they weren't real sophisticated back then, but they didn't believe that storks delivered babies. You know, they, they knew, wait there, a virgin is going to bear a son or a child, and that just doesn't happen, you know, by ordinary means, or it has to happen through ordinary means. It just, just doesn't happen. The stork arrives at the store, you know, and brings you your baby. 
uh, that, that there was this something supernatural about this announcement that she was being told. Um, and so she needed to, you know, she was, uh, I would think, she would be asking the question. She asked in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I think it's a little different kind of question than Zechariah was mentioning. Remember, Zechariah was kind of like, give me a sign. She just says, how is this going to be? And then he's going to tell her about how the Holy Spirit is going to come. So one of the great statements that, uh, you know, Kenny was asking me about this. Uh, he said, I loved uh, uh, having, you know, to confess the Apostles' Creed. But what's the one thing in the Apostles' Creed? We believe what? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Those, that statement is very, very important. In fact, for the first three or four hundred years of the church, they had, a lot of people lost their eyes, their limbs, and all kinds of things defending that statement. The, the, the virgin birth of Christ is essential because it's a miraculous work of God for, for God to inhabit human flesh in the womb of Mary. That is a miracle. And if you throw miracle out of Christmas, guess what? You don't have Christmas. You don't have Jesus. You don't have salvation. You don't have forgiveness. You don't have any of those things. And, and so the mystery really uh, is, is one that... Um, so, so what happens, it says, notice in verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So, so Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, where do we see the Holy Spirit in the Bible? The first time we see him is in Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was what? Void and empty, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God says, let the air be filled with fowl. I mean, birds <laughs> and all kinds of creatures that fly around. And let the, let the oceans be filled with fish. And all kinds of creatures. And let the earth sprout all kinds of plantation. Let the earth, you know, then you know, God spoke what? The deer. Leon, if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't have anybody, any deer to shoot. Uh, God, so God's speaking, God's speaking, the Holy Spirit speaking what? Creation into existence. And what happens when the virgin birth happens? The Holy Spirit says, let there be Jesus born in the, the womb of Mary. So the, the Holy Spirit is actually a part of the conception process. And he's saying, let there be a bo this body of Jesus in which the second person of the Trinity would, would be, become a part of. I mean, or, or be, that would be his new, <laughs> you may say, Jesus taking on flesh in the womb of Mary, and that by the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I mean, think about Jesus is the head of the new creation, right? So what happens? We're a part, so his birth 
in the womb and through his death and resurrection, he, we also are the recipients of that life. The incarnation is such a, a, such a, a vital part of Christmas. And it's a mystery, and if anybody asks you, well, you know, can you explain it? Say no, because if I could, I, you know, I, I can't explain it. All I can say is I believe it, because that's what the Bible teaches. I mean, that's all we could, that's all we could say. I mean, Daniel Webster was asked that question. He was, uh, he was a, uh, a spokesperson back in really a, a very important person of uh, history. And they asked someone asked him what he, why he believed in the uh, incarnation, and they said, uh, can you can you actually comprehend it? And he says, if I could comprehend it, he said, it, it would be no greater than myself. I feel that I need a superhuman savior. And, uh, and the whole point of it is he's saying, there's a mystery. We don't understand. We don't have, there, there's things that God says he does, but we can't understand. Um, you know, and that's, that's the beauty of mystery. And what's amazing here is that Mary, you notice that, that, that God doesn't leave it there because, I mean, think about it. She's this young teenager, and God is giving her some encouragement here because notice how the angel says, well, if you you'd think that's kind of a big thing, well, think about it. Your, your aunt, or maybe her first cousin, I don't know if they're cousins or aunt, she's an aunt, but Elizabeth's six months pregnant, and you know she's past bearing a child. So that had to be an encouragement for her. But I think even the bigger encouragement would have to be verse 30, 37, right? For nothing will be impossible with God. So think about the things in your or my life that we say, well, that's impossible. Well, it's impossible if you take God out of the equation. But it's never impossible, right? Because with God, all things are possible. Is there anything, you know, is there anything in your life that seems impossible? And you don't have to answer that. But, I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, as I, as I look back on the, you know, the years that I've lived, there are a lot of times where I thought, you know, that's just not impossible. The only way that's going to happen is if God. And, it, and, it, and those statements in Scripture should encourage us because as you read the Bible, it says man's lost and trespasses and sins and then what? Ephesians 2, 5, but God, who's rich in mercy, you know, every time you see but God, it's basically saying, yeah, it's true, things are really bad, but God, right? Things seem impossible to us, but God, who has all authority and power in heaven and earth, nothing's impossible with him. So think about whatever struggles you have. Even, so I think Christmas is a time, yes, we think of mystery, we think of miracle, but we also should be reminded that, you know, with God, nothing's impossible. So whatever struggle, whatever, whatever thing that we're struggling with, that seems impossible. It's impossible for my, for my situation to change. Uh, it may be, seem impossible that, you know, that, that things, the struggles at work, that that would change. Or it, maybe it would be something in a relationship that that would get resolved. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that we struggle with. And the message of Christmas is that, but God, all things are possible. And, and it's encouragement to think about the, this 14-year-old girl is at a place in her life where she's just trying to figure out who she is, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I've not run into too many 13 and 14 year olds that said, yeah, I know what I want to be. I'm just trying to figure out who I want to be. <laughs> I mean, I'm just wanting to try to finish school. 
I'm trying to make, a, I'm trying to, I want to make, I want to make some kind of impact in life. Uh, for example, you know, um, you know, if you're a great baseball player, you want to make an impact, right? Like Caleb, you know, he wants to make a great impact. Well, you know, or, or, or maybe, uh, you know, you want to be uh, a pitcher like Bryson. You know, he wants to do some, I mean, I think he's done some pitching, okay? So, I mean, think about, I mean, so we want to make some kind of impact, and one way we do that is through sports, sometimes through education, uh, grades, sometimes it's through other things. But here's this young girl, she's a peasant girl in a nowhere, a nowhere city, in a, no, no, a nowhere place, and God's saying, you're going to be the mother of Jesus. And you're going to like, wait there, Whew, I haven't figured out... <laughs> What job I'm going to be working yet? You know, I mean, you have to, you have, you really have to start. Put, you, we have to put ourselves there and think about. Here, God is coming to a teenager, and the whole think about the most important thing in all of history that's ever taken place: the incarnation of Jesus and His death and resurrection are all hinging upon what one thing: the announcement to a little 13 or 14 year old girl. And I'm going like. Lord, I don't know if I would be putting, hinging all of that. I mean, that's putting all your eggs in one basket, right? On one little girl that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that God, you know, obviously God's sovereign and the way he does things. But when we look at it and we say, wow, that is power, right? That God has the power to make sure that all the events in that young girl's life are going to, I mean, think about all the things that are going to happen to her for the birth of Jesus to be then to see her son then eventually crucified. To have to go through that. Uh, all of those things are a part of Mary being chosen as the mother of Jesus. And so part of us, I think, as you know, as we think about, uh, you know, as we think about coming and we're going to come to the table, the communion table, we're going to be eating the bread and we're going to be drinking the juice. Both of those are physical, aren't they? And they're physical because it's a reminder that Jesus became a man. Because unless he had become flesh, true humanity and blood, he could not die for your sins. God can't die, <laughs> but Jesus could, right? We do, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Any man who comes to me, believes in me, he shall have eternal life. Whoever eats of this bread and drinks of my blood, and you're going like, wait, drinking blood? No. Well, the juice is a picture of us receiving and trusting that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that he rose again uh, for my justification. And so when we come to Christmas, I, I, I mean, I, I, we don't have to take the mystery away from it. We can just admire and worship the mystery, right? I mean, think about what were the angels doing? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. In other words, it's a place of worship. Mystery is a place of worship. Let us marvel at the mystery. Rejoice with the angelic choir. Jesus is the God-man. You know, I ran into a, and, you know, as I was, I was thinking about this, I, re, I remember picking up some literature, and it was at a big church. It was near Huntington, I think. 
and I, they were at some of their literature, and this is what the literature was explaining salvation, and it, was, it made this point, and it really hit me, that God saved the spirit, but the body and the soul are not saved. Would you agree with that? It's kind of scary, right? God saves the spirit, but the body and the soul aren't saved. And I'm going like, wait there. There's something wrong with that statement, right? Because God came to save the whole person. The body and the soul are part of our existence. And obviously, uh, basically, what it's, 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 a, it's a modern form of Gnosticism. You know, there's actually people who believe, I mean, they're, they're called uh, Unitarian Pentecostals. They don't believe, they don't believe that Jesus is God. Because they can't accept the fact that the body could be, that you could actually, that God could inhabit a body. Now, it was a perfect body. He was sinless. But the point is, is that if you don't have the body of Christ, you don't have communion. You don't have salvation because God saves us. He saves us body, soul, and spirit. If you want to, you know, if you're, you know, if you look at, you know, the, the, the makeup of man, uh, and, and the church councils fought this out. And you say, well, why, why, why was it such a big deal? Why, why should we make such a big deal? Well, it is a big deal because if God doesn't, I mean, the whole point of our existence is that God, in a way, he, he, it's almost like God says, look, it's a sacred, it's, it's, you know, the physical is not, not it's, it is sacred. The physical is sacred. You know, we want to say, well, you know, the spirit we know is sacred, but you know, the body, God's, God's going to redeem all of us, right? He's going to redeem the body when he's going to do that at the resurrection. <laughs> but the point is, is yes, this body dies, but the spirit doesn't. And, and, and the, the, the point of, the, the point of the, what I'm saying here is, is that really, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld God's glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so both are important. Both are essential. Both are a part of what we believe as Christians because it's that very statement. It's all salvation hinges on that statement because without a body, Jesus couldn't die. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, right? So we don't just believe in this because a lot of people were teaching back then what was modalism. It was called basically is that the Father, when he comes to earth, it's like it's a, it's a mode of the Father, and then when the Holy Spirit comes, it's another mode of the Holy Spirit. No, no, he's not a mode. <laughs> it's three persons. There's three persons in the Godhead, but there's one God. It's called deity. And there's this intersection that we don't understand in the incarnation. That is, as you both, that there's three, that God, God the Son is one person, but he has two natures. He's got a divine and a human nature. He's the only person like that, by the way, except once we're redeemed, what happens? We receive the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so, uh, so as you think about uh, Christmas, remember the mystery. And think about the virgin birth and think of what, what, a, what an amazing event that was. And, and I think it's, it's important to, even to remind our young people and our children is, is you know, just, just how how miraculous God was, was at work in the life of Mary. But really, you know, to take that to another level and to say this, that we're going to fill our lives with something. God filled Mary's life with what? His Holy Spirit. 
And young people, you will, follow, you will fill your life, and, and all of us will fill our lives with something. We either, you know, the Bible says be filled with the Spirit, right? So you're going to fill it with something, so I'm either going to be filled with the Spirit or I'm going to be filled with all the things of this world. Not that they're bad in and of themselves, but guess what? If you miss, if you miss the, 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 the important part, then the other part doesn't have a whole lot of meaning and purpose, right? I mean, think about it. If you cut out your relationship with God, and you could just say, well, you know, I could have all the money I want. I could have the best job I want. I can drive in the best vehicle I want. I could have the best, I could have the, the this, uh, you know, the, the greatest, you know, person, you know, be married to the greatest person that I can think of, and this, that, and the other. Although, you know, you could, you, you could go on and on. But without Christ, none of that has real meaning. Without a relationship with God. And so we fill our lives with something, but... Mary was being filled with the Holy Spirit. She had nothing, and yet she had everything. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful picture of, of Christmas and the mystery. And so as we come to the Lord's table, I, I trust that we will not forget the mystery and uh, remember uh, the blessing that, uh, that we have received, this, this, uh, that we've, we've basically received the gift. And Jesus is the gift of Christmas. He's the miracle of Christmas. And, uh, and let us remind each other of that. Let us remind everyone that we come in contact with, well, the miracle of Christmas, you know, that's Jesus. Everything else is irrelevant compared to that. And uh, certainly he is the gift that keeps, by the way, he's the gift that keeps giving, right? If you've got Jesus, you keep giving him. <laughs> I mean, never gets old. Okay, oh, you need, oh, you need, what do you need in your life? Okay, you need Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have you don't have the, the one gift that keeps giving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And uh, just thank you for uh, just this reminder, Lord, of uh, the mystery uh, of the incarnation. That our God came down. The bread of heaven came down. And uh, we eat of that bread and we drink uh, of his blood. And uh, Father, we remember his death until he comes. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with this hymn. We're going to sing the first three stanzas of this hymn, and then we're going to, uh, we're going to break bread together. There is a fountain, hymn 336. Let's stand. There is a fountain filled with blood drop
we uh, come to the table, uh, it's always a good reminder for us as we open God's word and reminded of what it means to, that Christ uh, gave his life. I think of the one passage as reading in John this week is it says that uh, Jesus said, I am the bread, uh, bread of life. But he says the bread of God came down. You ever think about bread? How much of us, I love bread, homemade bread. Oh, geez. Chris starts baking that stuff and it fills the house, the smell of bread. And um, when you think about, you know, what's it mean that the bread of heaven came down? The very, I mean, our very, without bread, we, we you know, it's kind of, we couldn't exist really. I mean, because bread, and there's a lot of vital, um, you know, elements of you know, nutrition and bread, but just think about it. The bread of heaven, we couldn't do without that bread of heaven coming down. And when we th do uh, have communion, you know, we're reminded of that. And thankfully, I don't have to touch the bread because I have a little bit of a sinus thing here. So thank God for that. Um, but um, and so as we come to the table, it's a table for uh, God's people. And for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's, it's a beautiful thing for us to just gather around this table. And it's not just a memory. It's God is with us. And think about it. This is a picture of the fact that Christ came down to us to dwell with us and to dwell in us by the Holy Spirit. So when, so when we partake of this table, I know it's a memory, but it's more than that, that there's the special presence of God here with us. We have a mediator, and that mediator is the God-man. And he understands everything you're going through and I'm going through. And he calls us brothers and sisters. That makes it kind of special, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I get to eat with Jesus here today. <laughs> and I don't know, sometimes, I think we should, you know, just be, reflect more on just the, the awesome privilege it is to break bread, to, to be able to sup and to eat the, the communion bread and just to, to, to be reminded of how, how glorious that is. And so there's a, I was looking at, um, one of the confessions, and I think I had uh, written down here that uh, just one of the questions I thought was really helpful for us to just as we come to the table. And so if you are a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ and you've trusted him as Lord and Savior and you're a member in good standing uh, with an evangelical church, then certainly you're welcome to this table. But notice what it says here. Uh, why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood? Or the new covenant in his blood, or as Paul says, a communion of the body and blood of Christ? And this was the answer that, uh, this is, the, this is uh, the Heidelberg question 79. Christ speaks thus, not without great cause, namely, not only to teach us thereby, that as bread and wine sustain this temporal life, so also his crucified body and his shed blood are the true food and drink of our souls unto eternal life. Now, obviously, he's talking about the spiritual, the sign, the, the point that it points to. But much more, by these visible sin, uh, signs and pledges, he assures us that we are really partakers of his true body and blood through the working of the Holy Spirit. As we receive by the mouth of the body these holy tokens in remembrance of him, that all his sufferings and obedience, now notice this, all his sufferings and all of his obedience are as certainly ours 
as if we ourselves had in our own person suffered and made satisfaction to God for our sins. Isn't that amazing? That when Christ died, we died with him. That's what faith is. When we are united to Christ in his death, his resurrection, as if the works that he did are ours. You get that? I mean, that's amazing. (laughs) Because I know my works aren't perfect. But he sees Christ's works and Christ's obedience in my behalf. That's what brings me to this table. It's all grace. This is like amazing grace spread on the table. And God's saying, just sit back and marvel at that. God came down. He came down to, and, and he's, and like Moses and the elders, as they, they met at the foot of Mount Sinai, and it says they had dinner with God. They saw God. And I, you know, that says they saw the feet of God. Now, you know, again, that's an anthropomorphism. That's kind of like a, for us to be able to, to really understand. But what are we doing? We're eating together with God through communion. And so, uh, so as Jesus uh, spoke these words, he certainly wanted us to be reminded of how, how glorious and how wonderful it is that we uh, can break bread together and that we can drink uh, of the cup and be reminded of the blood of the covenant. And so uh, why don't we uh, just take a moment to, uh, to meditate on that fact that Christ died for me. He gave it all for me so that I could be a part of uh, union with Christ in his death and resurrection. And then we'll, we'll, we'll pray to set apart the table. Father, thank you for coming down, uh, sending your son to come down to us. You said it would happen, but it took years for that to happen. And when it did, Lord, there was only a few that seemed to understand at least that you were doing a miraculous thing. Father, as we come to this table, this table represents all the the obedience of Christ. It represents uh, his sacrifice and his perfect life and his dying on the cross as our substitute. Father, it's a picture of of him bearing the wrath of God uh, uh, and being punished for our sins. But it's a picture of he who was rich becoming poor, taking on himself the form of a man, real man, real humanity, and being found in the flesh and in the body, he humbled himself and became obedient unto, unto death, even death on the cross. And so, Father, this, uh, this table represents not only all that Christ has done, but it also represents all the blessings that flow out of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Our justification, our, ju- our sanctification, our glorification. Uh, Lord, it, it's a picture of uh, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places that we uh, have received. Lord, we are rich as we gather here today. We may not have the physical riches of the world, but we have the riches of Christ. And those riches, Lord, can never be diminished. They can never be taken away. And so, Lord, as we're 
just gather together here today. What a blessing it is to know that we can eat together and that we can drink together. Be reminded in that fellowship, Lord, of what it means that Christ died for me and that he poured out his blood and shed his blood so that we might have the forgiveness of sins. So thank you for the cross. Thank you for this table. Lord, I need to be reminded of this table often because uh, I tend to forget, Lord, and think that it's something about my performance that earns anything. But, Lord, you're saying it's all grace. Grace changes the way we, we worship, Lord. It certainly causes us to be thankful because we have nothing to bring to you but our praise and thanks, Lord, that uh, you did it all so that we might be the recipients of your amazing grace. And so as we eat together and as we drink together, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it all. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So Jesus uh, took the bread and he said, this bread is my body, which is for you. It's for you. He says, and do this in remembrance of me. And what a beautiful picture that was, the bread of heaven coming down and he's saying, okay, when you believed in Jesus Christ, you received that bread by the Holy Spirit. You are nourished as a result of the atoning work of Christ. And so I'm going to ask our, uh, our ushers, and as they will eat as we, uh, after we all receive uh, the bread. Yeah, it might be easier. Yeah. Thank you. 
behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Let us eat together. Same way Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. This is a testimony not only to each other, but it's a testimony to the world that uh, we are who we are because of one thing, and that's because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness he purchased for us. It's not by anything we've done, but it's everything that he's done. So let us drink together as we uh, celebrate his death and resurrection. said without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin thank God for his uh, sacrifice and the giving of his blood let's drink together Father thank you for this abundant reminder and uh, Lord for being reminded of your presence Lord that it's a, a very glorious thing that 
that you came down to be uh, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord, that you took upon flesh so that you might be a faithful and merciful high priest in things pertaining to God. And Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise for our Lord Jesus Christ and for his death, his burial, his resurrection, and that he's coming again. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's close with uh, the last two verses, and then we'll uh, give a benediction. Three thirty-six, same same uh, hymn. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. And shall. See the benediction? For nothing is impossible with God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.